Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's just about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. Put them in the lowest paying jobs. Put them outside the equal protection of the law. Kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. It's an American-style form of fascism, and what I mean by that is we've we've had a neoliberal rule from Carter to Obama. That neoliberal rule left in place a national security state. It left in place massive surveillance. It left in place the ability of the president to kill an American citizen with no due process. That's Obama. 
That was the culmination of the neoliberal era. Now you get someone who's narcissistic, which is to say out of control psychologically, who is ideologically confused, which is to say in over his head. And who does he choose? The most right-wing reactionary zealots, which lead toward the arbitrary deployment of law, which is what neo-fascism is, but to reinforce corporate interests, big bank interests, and to keep track of those of us who are cast as other, people of color, women, Jews, Arabs, Muslims, Mexicans, and so forth and so on. So this is one of the most frightening moments in the history of this very fragile empire and fragile republic. that uh, you now have a president who believes in discrimination, I think, uh, particularly when it comes to housing. He has an experience doing that. And then he appoints someone who wants to, who doesn't believe in the Fair Housing Act, who doesn't believe in uh, the recent improvements to the Fair Housing Act uh, put in place by uh, President Obama to affirmatively make sure that people have access uh, to fair housing. And we have to do things that are affirmative. The, the situation we're in was put in affirmatively, right? And so we have to have affirmative plans to reverse it or to correct uh, many things that we believe are wrong. And Dr. Ben Carson, one, doesn't believe that, uh, unfortunately, which is something uh, that is a policy decision. But on top of that, just has absolutely no experience at all when it comes to anything related to anything that HUD does. And one has to try to figure out why these are the appointments that are being made. But Mr. Mr. Trump is tearing away the skin of the onion of white civility. And the more he pulls the skin of that onion back, he's beginning to show something in the character of the whites that follow him, that they don't care what he says. He could say one thing this minute, another thing the next minute, and you could see that the man has a little problem, a little problem. The, ex the extension of the repressive apparatus as those of us who hit the streets, those of us who will be willing to go to jail, we have to recognize we'll have more coming at us under Trump administration. But the crucial thing is, is that he had talked about his connection with working people, and it's clear that uh, the 1% are still running things.
Pharaoh was talking before his demise, and he openly said, me and my people are wicked. And when you get leadership that is not rooted in justice, then they begin to make the people just like themselves. Be careful, America. You're headed into the abyss of hell. Stole my name. Left me in chains. You know they hung me from that tallest oak tree. They cast a raid on me. Everything I want to do. You talk about terror. I say you talk about terror. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Welcome to the 2017 season of Our Common Ground. And now, Janice Graham. on our common ground. Thank you for being with us. We're glad to be back with you and hope that you had a wonderful, thoughtful, mindful holiday season as you came into 2017. We want to thank um, India Declare of the I Declare Show for a pajama fabulous New Year Eve um, that she hosted at the I Declare show, bringing in the new year, and we thank her very much. For those of you who are listening on your smart device, you can join us in our chat room here at the Our Common Ground Live studios by coming to the website blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG, and we have those who will chat with you, discuss with you, uh, the matters that we bring to you tonight, our common ground, is a sanctuary for black truth. We honor it and we respect it and we will continue forward in 2017. If you are new to us, then you know we have a very long opening because our listeners are getting their bourbon and ice and uh, apple teenies ready Uh, to dive in deeply into what faces us as a people and as a nation on this global sphere. And we thank you for being with us. Don't forget, please follow us on Twitter at JaniceOCG and subscribe and follow us on Facebook at OCG Talk Radio. We are there, we are active, we are providing you information all week long. We do have a weekly newsletter, Scribbling Common Ground, Scribbling Race on Common Ground, uh, that's published every Friday to help you understand what is behind us so that you can see what is in front of us. Tonight at Our Common Ground... Joining us as our guest 
is, um, you know him. He is a respectable Negro. <laughs> Chauncey DeVega is back with us tonight, and we're so glad to have him uh, joining us. For those of you who do not know, Chauncey DeVega is a political, social, and cultural essayist, and he is an educator. He is a critic, and he is a host of the podcast known as The Chauncey DeVega Show. <laughs> He's been a guest on BBC, National Public Radio, Ring of Fire Radio, Ed Schultz, Sirius Radio, Josh Hotlands, Hot, I'm sorry, Holands, Alternate Radio Hour, The Tom Hartman Show, The Burt Cohen Show. And he has been with Our Common Ground as an Our Common Ground voice since 2011. He's been interviewed by the RT Network and Free Speech. His writings are featured in Newsweek, the New York Daily News, the Huffington Post, and the Daily Coast. He is a regular contributor to Salon.com and Alternate.com, and we are so very pleased to have Chauncey join us one for our opening broadcast of our common ground. Chauncey DeVega, thank you for being with us. We have missed you, my brother. I miss you, too. Thank you for having me back on. Hope you have a good new year. Well, at least as good as it could be with this orange yeah, proto-fascist. It wasn't, it wasn't good. proto-fascist. <laughs> uh, I, I almost reached out to you, Chauncey, one of those nights uh, in November where I could do no more than hold my head and rub my forehead because <laughs> I couldn't see myself uh, for all of the chaos, confusion going on in my brain about what we were about to face. You've done a lot of writing uh, over the last couple of months about where we are, how we got here. Um, and I have enjoyed and for those of you who are listening if you want to read Chauncey De Vega you must read Chauncey De Vega at chaunceydevega.com Chauncey I don't think you and I have ever talked with such in in a place of such pessimism and I I really have tried to try to bring it up I really, I mean, people are, everybody stand up who understands that I've been trying to, 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 to somehow stand tall over the last two months, and you know how much energy I have put into it. Hold up your hand so Chauncey can see it, because I have tried. But damn, Chauncey, I can't find my way. And well. you ha you have written for the last couple of months so much of what I see. Talk to us as a critic about what happened in the 2016 election. Well, you know, Let's about a year about ago, I've been first. on following Donald Trump for some time. Um, about a year ago, yeah, you have. I was on the Art Network, and I predicted that he would win. And people responded to me as though I was crazy. And I said, you'd better be ready. It's going to be a lot closer. 
than you expect it to be, and he may very well win. Because if you actually look at the data and you actually look at the metrics, I have a series of pieces at Salon where I'm a politics staff writer. I've been on a regular basis there since July, where you have a a few competing narratives. And one of the big ones we need to jettison, if the Democrats, if people of conscience, if liberals and progressives want to get ready for the future, you need to reject this white economic anxiety narrative. Donald Trump won because of racism and sexism. And he was able to use this and sort of go even farther farther than the Republicans did with the Southern strategy because he saw an opening. And he was able to titillate, and I use that word intentionally, to excite, to fear-monger mm-hmm. these white, quote-unquote, working-class voters, and they're not working-class. The average, uh, the median income of a Donald Trump household is $73,000. That's about 20 thousand dollars more than the U.S. average. These are not poor people. For the most part, he won every single group of white voters, except, I believe, white college-educated women, but it was a lot closer there than it should have been. So we need to really understand the problem. And I was able to call it because you never go wrong underestimating white racism. Go to the casino. If they had that game and they had the well, white racism roulette wheel, you're never going to go wrong betting on it. And the simple fact of the matter was, and here's another uh, huge error that people have made, and you've heard this. Well, how could these white voters be racist if they voted for Obama twice? Well, they voted for him despite their racial resentment and animus. But when they had a candidate who spoke to their anxieties and fears about the color line, about white privilege, about, uh, in their minds, white supremacy not paying the dividends that it used to, well, that was just enough to win him the 100 – it was only 100,000 votes. 100,000 or so votes in a black swan effect across a few states to steal the election, never mind the Russian meddling, and never mind voter suppression, and never mind the Democrats' problems would turn out. Well, you see, Chanti, one of the things that I've been thinking is this whole notion of they voted for Obama twice. I'm not sure about those numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, what I am sure about is that there was so much voter suppression in the states that Hillary Clinton lost that if you enumerate the statistical base, that narrative goes out the window, too. And I I absolutely agree with you that this was about backlash. The backlash has been mounting for seven years uh, against the black the fear this whole thing about the fear of the of, of the black president and we you and I talked about that and 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 I absolutely agree with your piece in 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 the in salon that this was nothing more than white people saying never again I'm going with what looks like it belongs to me Am I am am I gathering? Uh, is that gathering the thoughts succinctly? I think so. I think you know we have you know one of those uh, moment of kismet, as my Jewish uh, brothers and sisters would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other angle here I've been thinking about because one of the things I've made a promise to myself is this is going to be the year that I make up my mind about getting that book done. So some of this stuff will fingers crossed, you know, sign a book contract and this will come out in that context. 
is that okay, a lot of folks so new people me, new people don't know that you and I have been talking about getting this book done since 2011, right? Okay. I'm just waiting for the right. I'm waiting for the right, the right offer. That's what I'm waiting for. If you, if you stop playing with disappear. that damn cat, you get a book done. <laughs> <laughs> My cat niece over at ChaunceyTheVega.com. We just had a few of her teeth pulled out, but she's doing okay. So much love to her. But one of the things I've been going back and forth on online with folks, again, because they want to say, well, the Democrats should abandon, quote, unquote, identity politics. Well, it's only identity politics, which is just a word for civil rights, when it's black and brown and folks and women and gays and lesbians. We saw Donald Trump use white identity politics and overt white racism to steal a presidency. And one of the themes I keep going back to, and as I said, if I sit down and do this book, this will be a chapter, is folks ask me, they're like, Chauncey, how do you talk to white folks or white brothers and sisters about racism? And I say, you've got to appeal to self-interest. And this is a great example, this election, of how white racism and white racial resentment empowered a fascist. You had tens of millions of white voters who supported Trump, who decided, think about this calculus they made. Well, he's a racist, he's a, a sex, uh, sex fiend, because that's what he is, uh, uh, cheats on his wives, he doesn't pay the people that work for him, he slurs whole ethnic groups, he lies, he's pathological, he's incompetent. But you know what? Maybe there's something in I'm going to overlook all that stuff, because he's going to make me feel good. Maybe he'll do something for me. So those voters literally decided to sell tens of millions, hundreds of millions of their fellow Americans down the river for the psychological wages of whiteness. And I'll tell folk, you look at Donald Trump. Donald Trump is an example of white male uh, privilege in action, because if he were black or brown or a woman, ain't no way in hell he'd be president. Number one, his life path and trajectory would be totally different. And, again, he's an example of how white racism empowered fascism and authoritarianism and really is a knife at the heart of this democracy. So white folks say, how does racism, why do I care? Look at your democracy. Look at how it empowered Donald Trump. And you think about whatever you think Donald Trump is going to do. Multiply it times two or three. It's going, to be even, it's going to be even worse. And that's why I say I sort of smile at a piece of salon about empathy. I have no empathy at all for these Donald Trump supporters. And in a previous piece, I called him a traitor, and I called them traitors. And all the evidence is mounting about his involvement with the Russians. And they had a piece in the New York Times interviewing his voters. And I think it was in Indiana, no, Kentucky, and somewhere else, or Louisiana. And they basically said, I'm happy the Russians meddled in the election. I don't care. Now imagine if that was Hillary or Obama. Mm-hmm. They'd have a lynch mob mm-hmm. me, chasing him down the street right now. Let me ask you a question. You've been doing, you've been doing, having a lot of discussions about this over the last year, and I'm puzzled as to understand how the media was unable to research, investigate his connection in the Russian finance, financial world and with the Russian government. What happened there? Uh, the media, the corporate media, because, again, we've got to uh, take apart a few myths. There is yeah. no liberal media in the country. There is a corporate media. You've got to follow the money. They gave Donald Trump last estimates about $3 billion in free advertising. Donald Trump, to his credit, because, you know, I'm a huge professional wrestling fan, and I've written about Trump in the context of professional wrestling. If you want to understand how Trump won and hustled the media, watch professional wrestling. Everybody who's a fan of pro wrestling, go to some of the websites and listen to the podcasts or radios. Everybody who's what we call a smart mark or a mark, we saw this coming because he's a professional wrestling villain. He used every single technique of a villain in professional wrestling. So the media, and you've seen this many times, they're, in, they're invested in this both sides do it narrative. If you know, the, the famous expression was if the Democrats say the world is, is round and the Republicans say it's flat, the cover story in the New York Times would be Republicans and Democrats disagree about shape of the earth. 
So they were deeply invested. And every time there's some interesting data about this where somebody went and tracked all the positive and negative statements about Hillary and Trump. And what you would see is whenever Trump had a scandal, the media would have to, to chase it and come up and exaggerate something about Hillary Clinton. So Donald Trump is out in the street killing people. And I've used that expression. I said it's like a horror movie where Donald Trump, he's the crazy man with the chainsaw, and, and uh, Pence is the gentleman serial killer because that's what they're going to do to this country. So then they had to go and say, oh, my God, Hillary Clinton, she littered. She threw a piece of garbage on the street. Oh, my God, it's a crisis. And then because they're following the money, and now you see what um, MSNBC is doing now, bringing these Fox News types over there because they want to be good, yep. and good with the administration. So you have mm-hmm. this narrowing of the public discourse because Donald Trump is entertainment. Hillary, frankly, was boring. And Donald Trump, because he's a reality TV show host, he's a pro wrestling, a student of pro wrestling, he's been at WrestleMania, and he knew his audience. And that's why I, mm-hmm. I, I marvel at it. And that's why I'm hard on these quote unquote white working class people mm-hmm. who voted for Marvel. And that's what we don't understand. That's what we don't understand about his relationship uh, in the boxing world as well. Mm-hmm. Don King. Yeah. Don King and uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and um, that other man. <laughs> yeah, but, but like you said, you know, he's an entertainer, and I didn't want to lose the thought. Um, but he said, you know, these these folks are cheering for him, and they got his back, and he knows how to work them. They don't get that he wouldn't pee on them if they were on fire. My mother and I were talking about this on my podcast the other day. She called in. And um, <laughs> Mama DeVega, as I call her, she called in and gave some of her wisdom after the election. She and I were talking about this. And she pointed out very smartly, she's from the South, she said, these white folks who voted for Trump, especially the working class and poor ones and the middle class ones, they don't really know any real rich people. Mm-hmm. But they support the idea of a rich person because they see it on TV. Donald Trump, if he even let them in the house, they'd have to go in the back door, if he let them in. But they if look at him and he's an idol for them. And then he mm-hmm. starts talking about mm-hmm. blacks and Mexicans and, all these, and, and Muslims. And that empowers mm-hmm. them because they're authoritarians. It's, cla- it's what's called social dominance behavior, right out of the, the social psychology you, literature. If you know it, you know. You, you, if you know those facts, you know the plan. You you often quote other writers in in your writing, and I, I, I my eye really got stuck on uh, a quote from Eric Sasson of the New Republic that you um, quoted in this piece. And for those of you who are listening, this essay is, It Was the Racism Stupid. White working class economic anxiety is a zombie idea that needs to to die. And you can find it on chancydevega.com. But you you quoted Eric Sasson, and, and he said, Perhaps then, these Trump voters are the most deplorable of them all. They're not suffering or desperate and have no concrete reason to hate the status quo or to feel like they are in decline. And then you said, the media ought to focus on their motivations too, and reporters won't even have to fly to Youngstown, won't even have to fly to Youngstown to find them. And 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 it really does make your point that this this whole economic anxiety that Chris Matthews and others even um, even I have to say this whole notion of Russian hacking and we and I want to talk to you about that that um, if 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 that thesis were correct. 
that blacks, Latinos, and other poor people would have flocked to to Trump. But I I really do believe that black, Latino, and poor people have to be a lot more vigilant than white, scared people because they just do, because that's how it is. So how do we divorce ourselves in our public discourse of the notion that this was nothing more, as you say in your piece, but the real deplorables. Yeah, it's also highlighted something I've talked about repeatedly. Like I said, the piece you just mentioned, go to Salon, um, series of pieces there, everything is, my recent work on uh, Trump is featured there very prominently. Is that you have both quote, unquote. Well, of course, give me the love. <laughs> Um, but one of the things we have to I have a better marketing sure listeners, you. <laughs> <laughs> you do, is that your listeners have certainly figured this out. They're smart people as well. That you have white liberals, quote unquote, many of them, and certainly white conservatives, who are both invested in a narrative that white racism is in decline, it's a dinosaur, and they have to go and find some way to explain away the racism of their fellow white Americans. Liberals use one narrative frame for it. Uh, we got to understand them. They were hurting. They were tricked. They were bamboozled. They were hoodwinked. Maybe they voted for him for other reasons. Conservatives just tell you racism is a myth, and it's white folks who are feeling like they're oppressed. And we actually have, again, I write about the data and the facts. An interesting thing about Trump voters is they actually believe, look at the public opinion research, that white people are oppressed, that racism against white people is a bigger, that's a, even, we'll, we'll even argue about the definitions for a second, is a bigger problem than racism against people of color. They're utterly delusional. But they're plugged into Fox, which lies to them every day, right-wing hate talk radio, social media, and they're in this echo chamber. And Donald Trump, very wisely, they got their head in the wash tub, and he's beating it with a drum, with a stick. And he's disorienting, but they hear that beat, right? He's their avatar. So that we're not getting this critical analysis because you have liberal whites and conservative whites who are both invested in a post-racial American narrative. So they are instinctively defending their fellow white Americans who are bigots, who are racists. They had a piece in the New York Times, cover story, editorial column, two weeks ago, where this regular columnist said, well, maybe Trump's voters, yeah, maybe Trump is a racist. Well, maybe he has these issues with misogyny and sexism. But his voters, they didn't vote for him for those reasons. They voted for some other reason. Talk about piss-poor theorizing and a total misunderstanding of how voters make decisions. Racism well, I, is deeply tied to white economic insecurity. I I I I support that notion but I still go back to I don't think that we understood the depth of the fear of white people having to watch a black president no matter what he did think that that was the 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 nail the last nail in the coffin as some of these people would think, and they would do anything. Here is a liar, a homophobic, a misogynist, and 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 I absolutely agree. I signed on. He's a traitor to their democracy. But they went with him anyway out of, I mean, it, it's almost like being stunned by your own truth. You understand what I'm saying, Chauncey? Mm -hmm. One day they looked up and there was a black president and there was a steel gush of fear 
that went through their their veins. No matter what they no, were, even, no matter. Yeah, and, and the negrophobia ahead. is a huge. Yeah, the negrophobia is a huge part of it. But imagine, and you and I have talked about this, I've talked about this a lot in my various interviews, because, you know, I just try to speak truth to power and tell the truth. And I treat every conversation and interview as my last one. They may just stop inviting me on, but no one will ever listen and say I wasn't speaking from the heart. <laughs> I, I think I was on Tom Hartman a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and I said this about uh, Trump and his voters, his human deplorables. I said they are profoundly threatened by the Obamas, and it's symbolic in the sense that you have a beautiful black family, Barack Obama and his wife are smarter than them, more graceful than them, more accomplished than them, more refined than them. And the very idea of that beautiful black family, whatever you think of Obama's politics and how it relate to black folks, all that stuff aside, the symbolic idea of a black family in that White House, these are people who literally would have said in the 60s, I'm free white and 21, that to be American is to be white. And for them to see that every damn day and to see him succeeding despite the willful, treasonous opposition of the Republican Party, it put them into a state of – they were in a a national derangement. We saw it every day on Fox News and right-wing talk radio. So now you've got Hillary, because racism and sexism are very closely related. Ain't no way in hell after that going to elect a Democrat who happens to be a woman, Hillary Clinton, after Barack Obama. This was their ultimate middle finger. Yes. Yes, and, and because of there, – there are two things, Chauncey, that, that come to mind about what happened in this election, and a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but I, I, I talk about it often, and that is that Hillary Clinton lost because of the Bill Clinton syndrome. Hmm. Nobody talks about his contribution to her losses. Ah. Uh, and I, I think that, but 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 let's go back to to uh, President Obama. Uh, you're absolutely right when you say that. I mean, because I'm sure you, I, I know that I have experienced it. I especially experienced it in my corporate life. How stunned white people become when they are face to face with someone who has everything that they want, and they can't have it. And I think that's what happened to Donald Trump. Hmm. Uh, and I want to run this by you, because you've, ta- you've not written about it, and I was wondering if you had thought about it. Let me run this by you. And, and, and we're talking about, if you've just joined us, we're talking about how we got, how we got here. Uh, with um, I, with the man who would be king. I hate to even call his name. Uh, so I refer to him as the Donad and the man who would be king. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you remember the um, press, con- press dinner, the White House press dinner, uh-huh. where Barack Obama cracked on Donald Trump so hard, even I had to laugh at the clip, <laughs> and I don't laugh often at uh, political nonsense. And if you saw his face, I believe that that is when he said, this bitch has to be taken down. I believe in his no, head he was yeah. sitting. Do you remember that 
Uh, well, I remember. I mean, I was watching this, one, one of those moments, again, where I fell in love with Obama, his, his symbolism, his black genius, his masculinity, his confidence, his humanity, because he and I, you know, we, have, we can have some beers together. We both like wrestling and comic books. And when he did his whole 1980s, I'm um, a real American, Hulk Hogan, and he showed his birth certificate. And I don't think Trump was thinking uh, that Obama was uh, the B word. I think he was thinking of a word that has an N in the front of it and an R at the end and two G's in the middle. But well, yeah. I think that was that okay. moment of, of, of rage, of anger, of humiliation. But I don't know. I think when Trump started, and only history will tell, he was doing this to get a TV network and to make some money and have fun. He had no intention of winning. Okay, so, and because so you go with that narcissist. line of logic. Oh, no, he never. He, no, and because he's such a narcissist and he loved the attention and he surrounds himself with people who will tell him what he wants to hear, at some point he realized he could win. Even that night, he admitted he, he thought he was going to lose. And because of this statistical fluke, and that's why he looks like a child. The image that I love, and maybe one day if somebody makes a print out of it or, or redoes it, I'm going to buy it, was when Brother Obama had to invite that racist troll to the White House and had that uh, picture where they're sitting next to each other. Trump yeah. looked like yeah. a, a student who lied and cheated on a test and somehow passed the class and now they got a job with fake credentials. He looked like a yeah. man-child who was humiliated. And imagine being Obama who has to sit next to this man who said you weren't an American, who's used racial, who's basically uh, racially demonized you, and you have to sit next to that troll. But Trump is so far in over his head, which is, again, why this is so very dangerous. Okay, let's, let, let's talk about what has occurred since his election. Um, he has shown that he is pathological. You've written about it. You've called him out. I've called him I mean, for the first time in my social media uh, activities, I've actually picked at somebody <laughs> by name. <laughs> I don't usually do in, indulge in that way. So let's talk about the damage between then and now. First of all, Here's a moron who goes after the CIA. Who the hell? What kind of moron does that? A CIA who can plant themselves in the fibers of your pillow. <laughs> and you question them and publicly uh, belittle them. So what do you think all of what has happened between the election and now means. Let's talk about the cabinet uh, appointments. Uh, Jeff Sessions is going to have his uh, U.S. Attorney General hearing this, this coming week, and that's going to be fair. Let's talk to, talk to, me, talk to me about how the... This Congress has transformed itself. All of these people, McConnell, um, Paul, how they have all reformatted themselves to try to fit in with what he's doing. Well, I mean, you have, it's funny you mentioned McConnell. I mean, talk about a co-conspirator with covering up Russia's, uh, Russia's connections to Donald Trump because Trump basically paid him off by giving his wife an appointment. So a lot of folks have you know, made fun and laughed and said, my God, he's so incompetent. He's putting these people in charge of these high-level um, 
offices and departments of the government who have no experience, who actually in many cases want to destroy the very departments they're in charge of. Well, that's the strategy, right? So this is sort of this Ayn Randian, Mm -hmm. neoliberal, super austerity, put people in charge of the government who want to destroy it. So that's the plan. Um, And as I said, I I was telling a friend about this. I said, you know, you hang out the barbershop long enough, or even a black or brown community, at some point someone's going to bring up that nonsense about the Willie Lynch letter, which is not true. It's a myth. It was made in the 60s. But you got folks willing to die for that nonsense letter. And I saw in front, I said, you actually have, you don't even need a conspiracy here. You have a white supremacist, white nationalist, Stephen Bannon, who's Trump's advisor. You have other members of his um, inner circle who are actually communicating with right-wing neo-Nazi organizations in Europe. You have a man being run by the Russia, Sessions, who is uh, overt racist, um, who basically, what did he say about the KKK? He, he, he was with them until he heard they, uh, they, were for, they supported smoking or something, something silly. He's called Black Attorney's mm-hmm. Boy. He opposes civil rights laws. And the Democrats who were, quote, unquote, against, uh, rather, the Republicans who were against Trump, well, they like power more than they love the country. So they roll over, they get on their knees, and they'll do whatever the American El Duce says because they want power. And, again, they're part of this problem, too. If they really believed in the common good, they'd stop this man. They'd impeach him. But they care about power, and they care about uh, stacking the Supreme Court, and they want to roll back basic civil rights protections for black people, for brown people, for women, for gays and lesbians, and they want to basically totally eviscerate any basic protections for the American worker and for the environment. As I said, things are bad. They're going to be far, far, far worse. They're going to be far worse. But but let's let's talk about his business conflicts and uh, why members of even his own party and the Democrats are not beating the drum on these obvious, I mean, uh, conflicts of interest that he has, and they are, and 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 so many of them are just simply illegal, and and his family. Um, his brother and his son-in-law and his daughter and what the hell? <laughs> I mean, it just goes on and on and on. This man is so destructive. He's holding a grenade with the pin uh, dangling from his middle finger. I mean, and that's one of the the traits of a fascist regime. You can look up all the different criteria and definitions of fascism, but or you know, we would say a banana republic in other contexts. Um, in this country, where you have the great leaders surrounding themselves with generals, because they love generals. They surround themselves with their family, and they come up with these schemes to basically enrich themselves. Another thing that Trump did, which is why he won't show his tax returns, he ran for president so he can cut his own taxes and those of his friends and get even more money from the public. So you have these Republicans and these cowards in the Democratic Party who won't press forth on these issues because they're deeply conflicted themselves. That's part of it, the revolving door of government, you work for the government, then become a lobbyist. Trump knows, again, he's in violation when he takes the oath of office of the emoluments clause of the Constitution, where he's basically using his office to get paid off by people staying in. So he owes apparently simply the Russian banks and financiers upwards of a billion dollars. He's deeply conflicted. And this came out a few days ago. The Republicans in Congress basically are trying to force his nominees through before their background checks are completed. So this is mm-hmm. a plutocracy. This is a kleptocracy. Yes. You know, and I think, frankly, you know, in the media and many in Congress, I think they're terrified. I think they're scared. They know this man is a fascist, and he knows they'll ruin him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that that's been 
been my sense about what's happening with uh, the the corporate media at the executive level, that uh, they understand that this man is crazy as shit, which is, you know, the bottom line. You know, I like to get to the bottom line. The bottom line is that. <laughs> <laughs> and that he he has no shame because he's a narcissist, and it is all about him and how he uh, is propped up. And I, and I think the, the corporate media executives are responding to, to their fear, as you just said, um, because he will ruin people in the same way that he's going to rule this country. But I am curious, uh, Chauncey, and I don't know what your take on it, and um, let us have it, as to whether or not there are factions in the background that, you know, you know, it's almost like you just throw your hands up and say, somebody got to do something about something. I mean, are we just going to sit here <laughs> and, and let a, a madman be in charge? Because he has no respect for any rules other than the rules he makes up. And he said as much, and Newt Gingrich said as much as well about Trump. You, you can't have a conflict of interest if you're president. I mean, talk about something that a, a Caesar would have said. But there's another point, too, about these uh, corporate media types, and we can't overlook it, is that for the media, the corporate news media accesses everything. And if Trump denies them access, well... What are they, you know, they're, they're going to be troubled in terms of getting information, they're getting their scoops, their own social and political prestige, their own egos. And there's actually a party. It was at New Year's Eve, I believe. Trump had a party, and he was selling tickets to it. And all these media types mm-hmm. showed up because, of course, they got to kiss the ring. But I think what you're expressing there is also the concern many folks have had about the deep state. This is the deep state going to do something. You know, and for folks listening, the deep state, those are the shot callers. Those are the folks across administrations, across decades, CIA, National Security Administration, uh, big business, the banking industry, the folks who want stability. They don't care who the president is. They're the ones who really call them the shot. And there's been some really great books written about it. I mean, there's a writer mm-hmm. for the Wall Street Journal, hardly some radical, crazy conspiracy uh, theorist left-winger. So this is a very open and known fact. Just look up the deep state. And originally folks were writing about it in reference to Turkey. But it certainly applies here. I don't know. And it's one of those situations that somebody actually did know, they wouldn't tell you anyway. But I'm not one of the folks who know. And you would think that these interest groups and these elite elements in the government, I'm sure they're in his ear. I'm sure they're frustrated. I know they're disgusted by his behavior, especially with um, the Russian interference and how he's treating national security, his threats against the CIA, which, again, is another thing that a fascist does. And these enemies lists that, I mean, it's like out of a movie. Trump is compiling enemies lists. He's asking for names of people who worked on global warming, now he wants names of people, I think the Department of Labor, who uh, are trying to fight sexism and racism in the workplace. This is something out of a bad yeah. movie, but it's real. Yeah. And and you notice that they are they are not trying to do appointments at EEOC. Uh, they are, I mean, it, 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 it's very frightening. Um, the civil rights the first time, the FBI is going to be destroyed. Yes, and the civil rights division of the Department of Justice is going to be destroyed with or without Jeff Sessions. That That is his mission, to destroy the Civil Rights 
division, which is very large, which is why Deval Patrick, and I wanted to ask you uh, whether or not you had read his letter. Uh, Deval Patrick is not necessarily a very brave person, but he headed up the civil rights division of the, of, of the Justice Department, and people are leaving there by drove in droves. Do you hear me? So, <clears throat> um, Deval Patrick uh, published a letter that he sent uh, to the uh, judicial uh, to the uh, judicial uh, committee, asking them to very carefully examine uh, Jeff Sessions' background because Deval Patrick worked on cases that Jeff Sessions says he worked on and he did not and uh, the Donad is using that as an example of his support of civil rights. The the other thing that is disconcerting is um, and, and I think every American is talking about it but it is not there are no expectations that anyone is going to do anything about it is the, the the lack of competencies and background of all of his um major appointments uh from Ben Carson at HUD <laughs> to I, I know don't laugh i mean you know would somebody well, he's take qualified him out he's black and he lived in the building in the so, backyard there you go. <laughs> uh I mean, and then you've got um, Pierce. Is that his name, Pierce, at HHS? But you don't see him doing anything with Gindrich, Giuliani, and what's that crazy lady from Alaska? Um, Palin. Uh, what's the great uh, Palin. He humiliated um, Romney to no end. I mean... For for someone in Romney's position, that was a great humiliation, and he hired his niece, who is who was one of the people who did not support him when he ran for president. So, you're, you know, you're, you're you don't have what you would call like Charlie Baker here in Massachusetts. Um, Quiet conservatives. You don't have quiet conservative uh, GOP governors raising their voice, and I don't think that Chris Christie is gone. I, 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 I just simply don't believe that. I believe he will leer his fat, stupid head um, uh, somewhere in the in the first six months. If, but it gets back to the question: What can be done? You are absolutely right in every one of the essays that you have written in the last two months that this man is so incompetent, so out of his league, so very much contentious and dangerous. But what can be done? Hmm. I mean, that's the, that's the essential a... question. What do we do now? Where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. As Brother King, yeah. you know, thinking about you know, the power you know, of hegemonic power. A good example of what we're speaking about is on one day the NAACP holds a sit-in at Jeff Sessions' Alabama office, and on the next day the NAACP meets with Trump. 
<laughs> that uh, everybody's saying, no, we won't perform at the the inaugural ceremonies, but an HBCU, Talladega College, is trying to raise $60,000, which they could use for scholarships and I'm sure some kind of capital program that they have going on to get their band to the inauguration. I'm, you know, and and that's a kind of confusion and chaos. Uh, Hillary Clinton has announced that she will be attending the inauguration. What what is that about? Power this gets the line, right? Yes. And what what is happening all over the place that there are working class people who are saying, "Oh well, there's nothing that we can do." And then there are the one percenters are saying, "Oh yeah, let's have a party." And mm-hmm. activists, I'm not sure where is Black Lives Matter. What happened to them? We, we got <laughs> so a few I'm things going on here. Yeah, I mean, so I think the first thing, the first thing we have to dis, uh, discard is the idea that this is a democracy. America is a plutocracy. Um, we have again a good empirical research. Um, Larry Bartels is great work. Martin Gillens' new work, others, have documented that uh, the House of Senators and Congressmen are only and deeply responsive to the very rich, to interest groups, and not to regular people. Um, voting, as we saw at the Electoral College, well, where did that get us? In terms of sort of, again, thinking about these institutional uh, bulwarks against Donald Trump, the other thing we've got to accept, too, is the Republican Party is not a conservative organization. It is a revanchist radical organization that wants to fundamentally undo America, the, the progress that was made by FDR going forward. They have said it. These are birchers. You go to their think tanks, read their documents. They want to destroy everything from Social Security to Medicare to Medicaid. They want to destroy civil rights laws. They want to have an unrestricted plutocracy run by white Christian men. We have, as you said, you know, a 1%, a five, even the 5% who are in bed with power for the most part. They know that either way their bread is going to get buttered. And then we have mm-hmm. the national security state. Here's what I'm worried about, that Obama and, and Bush have built up, going back to Clinton and even Carter before Nixon, that all those internal state uh, security forces and apparatus, spying, police thuggery, the FBI, CIA, well, now they're going to be under control of Donald Trump, that surveillance state. And what do we do? You know, I, I've outlined a few things. You know, Michael Moore had you know, five things you should do. I think people oh, should and take congratulations, all the money out of the bank. Michael Moore is 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 sending your praises, is singing your praises. Congratulations! I was, I was quite flattered. Yeah, I, I, you know, again because consumerism in America and capitalism are confused with democracy, so no one will do this because they're cowards again. As long as their TV is on and they can watch a bunch of million dollar slaves run in a field or bounce a ball, they're content. Take your money out of the bank. Go on a debt strike. Mm-hmm. Stop spending mm-hmm. money. You'll see some changes. Go after yes. the pocketbooks. Go and make a list of all the people who advertise on the corporate media who empowered and enabled this man to win the election. And here's another thing. I'm sure you probably noticed this. I And I said this. I was talking to Jared Yates Sexton, who writes uh, New York Times National Reviews on my podcast. And he and I were sort of trying to figure out what was the inside game. So you watched the election night, right? And you saw an MSNBC announcer. It looked like a veritable meltdown. At least you had Van Jones, yes. or, Van Jones or Charles Blow telling the truth. It was Van Jones about white backlash. I've said this, and I'll stand on a rock and say it in public. 
I think you had a lot of inside the Beltway media types who were happy that Trump won, because Trump is money. He's big business, and he's excitement. And him being president is going to employ a lot of these folks, because every day is going to be a new crisis. And that doesn't even get us to how their reporting was compromised in terms of the narratives they were told to speak about and the ones they were told not to. So don't look through the mainstream media to tell the truth. Forget that. Well, let me say this, and you and I haven't had an opportunity to talk about it. And for those of you who are just joining us, we're talking with Chauncey DeVega, the political, social, and cultural critic and essayist, uh, and you can find him at chaunceydevega.com. Uh, I have worked with and for um, very, very powerful and rich industrialists and corporate uh, executives. And one of the things that is the benchmark is everybody around them is afraid to say the wrong thing. And that kind of fear is going to be exacerbated when you have this pathological narcissist who is also a sociopath. And that doesn't make him crazy. That makes him out of order. <laughs> because we have to be real careful, I think, Chauncey, in thinking that this guy is crazy. He's not crazy. He's crazy as a fox. Exactly. All of this stuff that we see, his, his, the way in which he responds, the way he tweets, I mean, you know, his, his Twitter habits have made us a lot laughingstocks across the globe. But all of his behavior has worked for him in his life to make him millions and millions of dollars. And that is going to be the real danger that no one is going to be willing to step up into his face and talk about how crazy he is. I think you're spot That's on. That's going to be the real danger. I think you- I think you're spotting the other issue there, too, sort of thinking about the, the, kleptocrat, the kleptocrats and the plutocrats, is they like stability. No, they like chaos if they can make money off of it. But, the, again, the inside the Beltway institutional types want stability, and they have to be deeply concerned by what Trump is going to do. That's a given. But as you said, you know, the Twitter thing is very interesting, because, again, in my various – too many, too many pieces and interviews on this man. I've told people he's not stupid. He's, no. As you uh-huh. said, he's crazy. He knows the game. He knows how to manipulate yes. your emotions. He knows entertainment value. Again, he is a stupid person's idea of what a smart person is. He is a white working class, quote-unquote, idea of what a rich person is. They don't know real rich people. They just see the ones on the TV, like thinking about watching Dallas mm-hmm. or something back in the day. But the Twitter thing is very interesting because, again, that's right out of, again, right-wing authoritarianism. It's also, again, out of any sort of uh, model. There's a great book that came out about Putin in Russia, and I've mentioned this too, Adam Curtis did a great five-minute New Year's documentary about this advisor to Putin who's like a basically interested in postmodern art. And he's basically counseled Putin on how to manipulate people by creating confusion. And that's what Trump did here. But the thing with Twitter is great in the sense of saying Trump basically has everybody monitoring his every little whim. 
his every emotion. What is the great leader feeling today? And that's something out of North Korea. That's out of Stalin's Russia. And he knows, mm-hmm. and that's out of Putin's Russia. And he knows mm-hmm. that he can just say something, or his advisors, whoever write that Twitter thing for him, and he'll get all sorts of attention, and it's a distraction. It's a canard. Mm-hmm. And he knows that's how you manipulate I mean, people. And they're, they're like a Hitler, dog facing a bone. Hitler had a Goals. master communicator as, as a, oh, yeah. um, as a uh, minister of propaganda, which made the machine that Hitler built work. And I think that many people are saying, well, the deplorables will hang with, will uh, will fall fall away from him because they will see that they're not getting what they want. I think no. that's a mistake. I think that's a big mistake. Chauncey DeVega, we've got to take a break. And for those of you who are just joining us, this is our common ground, and we're with political, social, and cultural critic. Chauncey DeVega of the Chauncey DeVega podcast. We'll be right back. Well, neo-fascism, it's an American-style form of fascism. And what I mean by that is we've, we've had a neoliberal rule from Carter to Obama. That neoliberal rule left in place a national security state. It left in place massive surveillance. It left in place the ability of the president to kill an American citizen with no due process. That's Obama. That was the culmination of the neoliberal era. Now you get someone who's narcissistic, which is to say out of control psychologically, who is ideologically confused, which is to say in over his head. And who does he choose? The most right-wing reactionary zealots which lead toward the arbitrary deployment of law, which is what neo-fascism is, but to reinforce corporate interests, big bank interests, and to keep track of those of us who are cast as other, people of color, women, Jews, Arabs, Muslims, Mexicans, and so forth and so on. So this is one of the most frightening moments in the history of this very fragile empire and fragile republic. Thank you for being with us tonight. Stay tuned. I'll be right back at you with more truth in this sanctuary at our ground. I'll be listening for you. Find your cure at the I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m., with India Declare. She brings you real, raw, and right now. Believe me just why. Every Tuesday, Don't believe me just why. 9 p.m., live, with India. Hey, hey. I Declare. Show. Real, raw, right now. I Declare it. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now. layer of the mask off that we seem to wear every single day and to start to speak about our issues, those childhood wounds and scars and secrets and, and lies that sometimes fester inside of us because we are afraid to speak disappointments and, and fears and that someone has hurt our feelings. So we're excited about it. We're asking one million people. 
College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And the more he pulls the skin of that onion back, he's beginning to show something in the character of the whites that follow him, that they don't care what he says. He could say one thing this minute, another thing the next minute, and you could see that the man has a little problem. A little problem. Stole my name. Left me in chains. You know they hung me from the tallest oak tree. They cast a raid on me. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. And we thank you for being with us here tonight with Chauncey DeVega, the political, social, and cultural critic and essayist and podcaster. Ch- uh, Chauncey, thank you so much for being with us. Um, you know, one of the things that is so disturbing about all of this is that most Americans didn't see it coming. And that we have no shelter. We have a Congress who's going to go along to get along because they want the kind of power uh, uh, that that this man brings. I'll give you an example. Uh, here in Massachusetts, Bristol County, Massachusetts, Sheriff has written a letter to the Donald Trump uh Justice Department offering their prisoners to help him build his wall. 
in Massachusetts. What kind of crazy is that? The other is that, you know, you would think that if there were a move against Social Security and Medicare, first organization that would be on the forefront would be ARP. Have you heard from them? I haven't heard from ARP. Quiet as a mouse. I've been telling people ARP is nothing but an insurance company front. And here we go. So, Chauncey, in the first uh, hour with us, we've been talking about where we are to this point. Let's talk about past this inauguration. Um, the the donad the donads uh, have decided the don donanites have decided in Trumpism that the first thing that they are going to do is to ensure that every executive order, including pardons and clemencies that have not been carried out, are going to be canceled. The other that's so disturbing and nobody's talking about is this man is behaving as though he uh, is already the president. How crazy is that? That that tells you he is some kind of crazy. The other is that even the moderate members of the GOP, even the moderate members of the GOP, have not issued press releases, press announcements, had press conferences to talk about how troubling all of this is. It's it, it's just unbelievable, just unbelievable. And I see that my board is filled with the one one ones and the one one ones and um you all know India declare you and alpha you all out there you you know what that means. I'm not talking to one one ones tonight uh we've We've lost Chauncey, and what we wanna do is try to get him back and while we're doing that um We'll share this with you. John, is that you? Hello? Fascism it's an American style form of fascism. And what I mean by that is we've we've had a neoliberal rule from Carter to Obama. That neoliberal rule left in place a national security state. It left in place massive surveillance. It left in place the ability of the president to kill an American citizen with no due process. That's Obama. 
That was the culmination of the neoliberal era. Now you get someone who's narcissistic, which is to say out of control psychologically, who is ideologically confused, which is to say in over his head. And who does he choose? The most right-wing reactionary zealots, which lead toward the arbitrary deployment of law, which is what neo-fascism is, but to reinforce corporate interests, big bank interests, and to keep track of those of us who are cast as other, people of color, women, Jews, Arabs, Muslims, Mexicans, and so forth and so on. So this is one of the most frightening moments in the history of this very fragile uh, empire and fragile republic. nerve-wracking that uh, you now have a president who believes in discrimination, I think, uh, particularly when it comes to housing. He has an experience doing that. And then he appoints someone who wants to, who doesn't believe in the Fair Housing Act, who doesn't believe in uh, the recent improvements to the Fair Housing Act uh, put in place by uh, President Obama to affirmatively make sure that people have access uh, to fair housing. And we have to do things that are affirmative. The, the situation we're in was put in affirmatively, right? And so we have to have affirmative plans to reverse it or to correct uh, many things that we believe are wrong. And Dr. Ben Carson, one, doesn't believe that, uh, unfortunately, which is something uh, that is a policy decision. But on top of that, just has absolutely no experience at all when it comes to anything related to anything that HUD does. And one has to try to figure out why these are the appointments that are being made. We've got Chauncey DeVega back, and we hope we have you back. We hope you're uh, enjoying a, a little Our Common Ground snack or uh, having a little birch bourbon. Chauncey, before you, your, phone, your, your call dropped, um, we were talking about where we are now and what we can expect, again, what we can expect that's going to happen in the first six months of the man who would be King's administration. Uh, I'm particularly concerned about uh, the GOP's mission to uh, just wipe out Obamacare, Uh, the tinkering that's going to be done to privatize Medicare, the elimination of um, Medicaid extensions, Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, he's he's going to through executive orders basically try to undo everything from protections to labor protections to basic protections about discrimination and hiring and the workplace that he can. He's going to the American El Duce. He's going because he says he's going to do this. Expand the terror dome, stop and frisk police brutality and thuggery and murder against black and brown folks under the guise of quote unquote fighting crime. 
he is going to, again, you know, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, I mean, some folks, you know, I wrote a piece about this over the weekend and you know, 10,000 shares on Facebook, all sorts of hate mail. I'm keeping a run and listen to bookmark of all these stories about all these quote-unquote poor white people boohooing and crying about Trump taking their health insurance away, Trump hurting them. Well, you voted for the monster. You're getting your comeuppance. The butcher's bill is going to come due. And I'm going to sit here and smile. The bill. It's coming due. <laughs> and I'm going to sit here yeah. and smile. But here's the problem. Now, as we've seen historically now you have in this a piece country, that, that you have a piece that's coming out tomorrow on Salon.com. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about the butcher's bill in that piece? Oh no, that's something different. There's a that's a response to this oh, idea. Oh, okay. We, but Trump, I want to talk to you Trump about that. arrangement. But yeah. let's get back to the <laughs> butcher's bill. <laughs> yeah, the butcher's bill is coming due, and as we know from American history, unfortunately, that when white folks, again through their own actions, through their own policymakers, through the harm done to them by white elites, because this is this again uh, a hustle. White supremacy in this country and white privilege work by putting working class and poor and middle class people of color against working class, poor, middle class people who are white. And white folks have historically chosen race over class. Is that they're going to lash out at the wrong people. When all this, when the butcher's bill comes due, they're going to be turning again against black and brown folk. They're not going to say, well, these rich white plutocrats, like, they screwed us again. These, these fools, because I put it on Twitter, you know, uh, Red Fox Sanford is my favorite show, these big dummies, that's what they are. They're going to start talking about Barack Obama's fault again. It's Obama, the black guy's fault. No, it's Trump who did this to you. So there's going to be a lot of collateral damage, and folks better get ready. Uh huh. Do you think that uh, President Obama is desperate at this point to try to transform how reports uh, that he's trying to position himself to, ins- to to insulate himself and his legacy? From that kind of manipulation? I'm sure he's, he's concerned about it, but Barack Obama is a very smart man, and he knows that there's little he can do to deal with this sort of derangement that he's faced in the way that the right-wing media and these Trump, because I call them Trump thuglicans, are going to remember um, his legacy and defend Donald Trump. But, I mean, the other interesting thing, I'm going to see, uh, fingers crossed, Barack Obama here in Chicago on Tuesday for the farewell speech. I'll be there in person, hopefully is that sort of thinking about his legacy and the narrative that would be created around him. And here's why, again, the racial animus angle that we started with against Obama is so fascinating. Barack Obama, and folks have researched this, talked less about race than almost any other president in recent memory. Literally, he didn't do really anything besides our brother's keeper, which is just a corporate neoliberal uh, black responsibility politics hustle. Barack Obama lectured black folks. He was a scold in chief. He didn't. He had an all boat, all boats uh, lift philosophy. He didn't deal with the specific challenges of black folks in terms of racism and classism um, in urban or rural America, and they still hated his black behind. Imagine if he actually was a black president. Lord have mercy, what they would have done. But he was a president who happens to be black, and I can't wait, wait to read his memoir that he wrote in five or ten years when he tells everybody what he was really thinking. What do you think he'll say? I think um Will he make apologies? I don't know. Um he had the great regret. I think he's gonna tell the the truth about the way he underestimated white racism. Um and you know, he and Tony Heasy Coates talked about this, going back to my mother and I talking about this when he won. I think you and I talked about this a few years ago. Barack Obama had a basic problem in terms of understanding opposition from the Republican Party. He's cerebral, he's rational, he's given what they want and they still hate him. And Barack Obama's problem, and I guess it's a good problem to have, 
His problem is the good white folks' problem. He was raised by good white folks who loved him and nurtured him mm-hmm. and, and cared for him, his grandparents, his mother, all the other people he encountered. And because he was raised in that very environment, surrounded by love, from, and he said this, he's like, man, when I go out to talk to these white folks who are in Iowa or Indiana, they look like my family, the people who love me. And I think that mm-hmm. gave him this reservoir of deep love. And I love my white brothers and sisters too. I love all, all folks of all colors. I love people. So I can sort of relate, but as a working-class black person who had to deal with a lot of racism growing up in the environment I was in, my parents didn't let me be naive. And I think Obama, because he was protected, he didn't have the coping skills at first to really acknowledge or understand what was happening. And I think, and he writes his memoir, I think he's going to have to address that and be like, you know what? Mm-hmm. He said to Tony, he said, Coach, he'd be like, I overestimated these people's goodwill, their generosity, and their humanity. And I underestimated the power of white racism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that the deplorables who voted for this man will ever come to understand um, the notion and concept of this neocon fascism that has moved into their their government. I mean, you and I pay attention, so we know exactly what these people are going to do in the various agencies that affect people's daily lives. But do you think the deplorables will come to a place where they will be able to substitute self-interest for the 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 drive uh, against the drive of their racist selves. Hmm. Well, I think they they still want the psychological wages of whiteness, and they know what they did. They are authoritarians and fascists themselves. So most of them are excited by this. I think when they they were I, they're rooting it on. I think if mm-hmm. you know they get rid of social security, they'd be mad about that. But man, they see black folks getting beat up and brown folks by the cops, Muslims put in camps, which could happen when you have one of Trump's advisors praising the internment of Japanese Americans in prison camps, concentration camps. It can happen here. So I think we'd like to believe that they'd say, oh, my God, this is atrocious, this is horrible. But we know, again, about increasing levels of authoritarianism in America. This has been going on now for 20 years, especially in the Republican Party and most highly concentrated among Donald Trump voters. I think they're excited. I think they're sharpening mm-hmm. the knives, and the more pain they see black and brown and poor and other folks feeling, the more aroused and excited they're going to become. I have very little faith in the 60 million or so people that voted for that monster, or those Republicans mm-hmm. who support him. I have no faith at all. I have no empathy for him. Nothing. I have no what about the se- get- What about the, the Democratic Party? Uh, as much as I cringe when I think that we we are living in a country where a viable third party is simply not going to formulate over the next four years. Um, what are we to expect from these Democrats who seem to have just fallen through the cracks and in black holes and all they are thinking about is at this point, you see no solidified, no solidified as much as Schumer would like to think, uh, no solidified 
resistance against uh, the Trump theism and the Trumpism that's going on. Well, the Democrats are going to do what the Democrats always what have they have done for the last few decades, going back to Clinton with the new Democrats, is they're going to chase the Republican model. They're going to go farther right. Uh, when they start talking about the dangers of, you know, I love these so-called liberals on the Internet, and I'll sort of talk about the dangers of identity politics. We need to get these white working-class voters. We need to have a narrative to bring them back. Oh, we got to find much about race, too much about women. No, that's what hurt us. No, it didn't. They're going to take the wrong lesson, and their lesson should be one about turnout, fighting voter suppression, organizing on a state and local level, which will be very difficult in terms of the uh, elections because of gerrymandering, and I think the Democrats, like you pointed out, they're going to play the game. They're going to play along to get along. They're going to silence the more radical truth-tellers because all they care about doing, because politics is a copycat game, is taking the wrong lesson, which would be, my God, we've got to satisfy these angry white people, and as opposed to looking at the totality of the information out there and saying, my God, Trump didn't beat us. We got three million more votes, million more votes than the man. He lost. He's historically unpopular. He's going to be coming in with some of the highest negatives of any president in modern history or all of U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to start chasing I, I, that, that unicorn of the white working class vote instead of saying, how do we mobilize the people we got? How do we uh, talk about issues about income and full employment? How do we talk about all the things we've accomplished? How do we mobilize? And they're going to take the wrong lessons. They're going to lose again. Yeah, yeah. Um, India Declare, the I Declare show in our chat room, has written that the Democrats are done <coughs> and they allowed themselves to become corporate marinated puppets. And I absolutely agree with that. But one of the things that I'm reading a lot about is this whole notion of a resistance movement. And I'm not sure if there is an instrument in which Americans can resist. Because we still, we're still shackled by uh, the surveillance the militarism of our police departments uh and um priv- uh, and the and the breaking of any real privacy that Americans have so what do you think is the forecast around the issue of a resistance movement well i mean we got to step away again from the corporate media and see unfortunately a lot of folks get their information from that very narrow um narrowly constrained public discourse that comes with cable news. They have the alternative press. they got to see what's going on in their own communities. There are people right now resisting and organizing on the local level in terms of actually speaking truth to power in terms of trying to protect the social safety net. People doing fends and trying to reclaim people's homes that were taken by these uh, gangster banks. People helping the homeless. But when we talk about resistance, the question becomes, you always ask, how and against what? Who's going to resist? What does it look like and what are they fighting? Because if they think resistance is just electing more Democrats and legitimating a broken system and surrendering to a corporatist Democrat party, which is really the Republican Party light, L-I-T-E, well, yeah, it's you know the difference between being hit by lightning and boiled alive. Trump's hitting you with lightning. But if you keep making these other choices, you're just going to get boiled anyway. But as I pointed out earlier, what can you do with your pocketbook? Take the money out of the bank. Mm-hmm. Stop spending money. Go abroad. I tell people, be in that. Mm-hmm. Don't pay taxes. Do that. Be a tax resistor if that's your angle. There's a lot of things that people can do, but they're afraid to do because it's learned helplessness. They're angry and they're confused. They don't know how to vent that anger and confusion, so they just roll over like an animal that's been abused. Mm -hmm. Mm 
Well, you know, I've been a proponent of using uh, the income tax as a tool against the government for a long time because in many ways uh, individuals are protected uh, until they have to pay the taxes. Uh, We could choke the American economy uh, for at least eight months if people were willing to do that. But people are not Mm -hmm. willing to do that. Uh, And people who are willing to do it probably mess up anyway and spend the money instead of putting it aside to pay the taxes when the taxes are due so they don't go to jail. Uh, So... so, uh, I have I have seen one thing that I have been very um appreciative of and 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 have some optimism by and that is this the in, invisible indivisibility move, um um organization which are former uh Hill staffers who are helping regular Resistant resistors to understand how you get the attention and how you work the system of Congress. We need that. You know, I spent. I don't. I don't know if you know. I was off the air for almost three months, uh, working at the. Lo- I had to work at the local level, and all the spare time that I had had to go to that. I was working on a campaign a local campaign, and I was doing civics education about what people need to know about how the electoral system works and why Mm -hmm. their vote and paying attention and understanding how you do referendum activism. Because I don't think black people do enough of that. If we had enough referendum activism some of this uh, voter suppression and some of this um, uh, uh, gerrymandering would not have occurred. Mm-hmm. But people don't know how the system works, and you have to know that. So I, I you know, I give them a, a lot of kudos. The the other is that um, we see more and more uh, publications. I'm not going to talk about your book anymore. <laughs> we see more and more One publications of, of black people like Eddie Glaude and and um, and Coates, uh, Wilma Leon, uh, who's going to be with us uh, next week or the week after. Um, I have to check my calendar. Uh, also, uh, uh, publishing a book about uh, black political empowerment and how the system works. But, as I always do, I go back to the people who we have elected to represent our interests and ask the question, where are they? You know, and and, and it really irks me when I pick up the newspaper and I read that the the NAACP is – doing a sit-in and getting arrested in Jeff Sessions' office in Alabama on Thursday, and on Friday they're meeting with Trump. When they should be standing up and saying, 
We have nothing to say to you, sir. Read the newspaper or read your tweet feed and follow us. <laughs> but I, I, I just don't see that kind of bravery, that kind of in your face. Because, I mean, the week, the two weeks after Chauncey, you know I don't pick on people. I don't talk about people, individual people, because I think all of this is systemic and systematic. But I was talking about Trump. I was calling him all kinds of treasonous, crazy. Everything. Every time I, I every time I hit Twitter, I, I was just insulting, publicly insulting this man because I didn't know what else to do. I hadn't 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 had a chance to adjust because while I agreed with you when you were saying a year ago that he was going to win this election. There was something inside me that wouldn't allow me to to really believe that that was going to happen. Like um, on uh, one of my favorite shows, you know, Maury is my favorite show. I'll admit that because I like it's a freak show. But cheaters, <laughs> yeah, you know they're cheating. You know it's going. You just in denial, and they show you all this stuff. You're still in denial, and some of them fools got on video and they still take the person back. And I think that's what happened to a lot of these folks who were just in denial. And I will, I will say one thing, because I don't want folks out there to think all, all is lost, it's the end of the world, the end times, whatever, is that <laughs> black and brown folks, we have a blue, black folks, African Americans, we have a blue sensibility. I'll say around the, across the black Atlantic. We survived slavery, Jim and Jane Crow, enduring white supremacy. We have the coping mechanisms and skills. Ain't easy. We got high blood pressure, cancer, drug use, all sorts of things that we use to cope. Um, although I'll put a, an asterisk on that, if you look at the rates of hard drug use in this country, that's white suburban rich folk and others, not black folks. Um, but we're going to be okay. we got the blues sensibility. But for a lot of Americans who were just so naive, I was watching, like I said, the day that Trump won that night, the next day, shocked. All these relatively privileged, they just couldn't believe it. And I said to one of them, I went to one of the Trump protest marches, and I said to him, I said, did you really think your fellow white Americans who voted for this monster were that good. So maybe some folk will wake up about sort of the depths of cruelty and meanness of their fellow Americans. But you said some very important referendums. Now, I still want to play this game of democracy. That's very important because referendums in a lot of ways have been used in a very small, the anti-democratic way, where Republicans and conservatives, especially these Christian fundamentalists, very well organized, these gun nuts too, they get these um, items on these ballot initiatives and only a small number of people vote, and it affects everybody. Mm-hmm. And they have been devilishly uh, sophisticated in using uh, these ballot referendums in order to sort of shape the public agenda. And it's not even the public, it's their agenda in order to get what they want. So I think that's something we should go back to. But I keep saying black folks, and I, I believe the data is still correct, as a group, in the highest percentage of our income on consumer goods, we spend the money coming in our hands is gone. Number one, because we you know, have less income and wealth than whites. Um, but that hasn't been said. We spending the money. What if we did have that consumer strike as black folks and Latinos and said we're not spending a damn thing beyond what we need for the bare minimum? You don't need no mm-hmm. video games. You don't need them expensive clothes. You don't need a new car. And then write to these corporations, write to your representatives and say, here's why I didn't spend any money this month, and I'm not going to spend any money for the next six months. Then you may see something. But people aren't going to well, do that because yeah. they're conditioned you know, to medicate themselves by but, spending money. But 
but here's how people, you know, I was talking to uh, a cousin um, who is an alum of Talladega College, and she she raised the issue of the Talladega ban in the inauguration and they're raising, and she was against it. And um, the president of Talladega College had had been in discussions with a number of uh, very active alumni and still was insisting that the band would participate because it wasn't an inauguration. You know you know how Negro whispers do it. It's not an inauguration <laughs> of um, Donald Trump. It's an inauguration of the president. Get the <laughs> hell out of here with that kind of stuff. But anyway... And I said to her, have you made a call? Uh, Have you called the president yourself? Have you written an email? Because until people do that, he is not going to be moved. If, 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 I mean, and if you are an alumnus who has been active in the Alumni Association and you have not done that, then you have not done your part. Not that, who cares about, nobody's going to watch his inauguration. Are you going to watch his inauguration? Anybody who's going to watch the inauguration, our number is 347-838-9852, and you can talk to Chauncey about it. Uh, but, but I have a slightly um, different take, playing, de- playing devil's advocate for a moment. Uh-huh. Again, this is very important because I think a lot of folks, you know this, a lot of other folks, I'm sure maybe some of your listeners do. Okay, historically, black colleges are heavily dependent because of the way they were founded after slavery on monies from the federal government. And we know with the person being put in at the Department of Education is going to destroy public education, destroy student loan programs, create even more debt servitude, radically, I mean, literally destroy the Department of Education. That's something that Republicans have wanted to do. Uh, in the context, you know, after the Civil War, since the 40s or 50s, they wanted to get rid of the Department of Ed since it was established. Uh, maybe the, the, folk, the, the president of that school knows that historically black colleges, they're going to be on the chopping block in terms of that money. And maybe mm-hmm. if he sends his band out there, this realpolitik, and he yep, puts them up there I that. To, to march, maybe mm-hmm. when they get rid of all that HBCU money, Trump, because he's a narcissist, will say, well, we'll do something for them. And that could mm-hmm. be the sort of mercenary mm-hmm. choice that folks are going to have to make in this, but again, on this the fascist other, era. On another place in the in the madness spectrum is the whole idea that, you know, all the entertainers, Beyonce, Beyonce, and the Beehive, and all them people, you know, I call them Beyonce and them. <laughs> he, will send, he is crazy enough to send their FBI after oh, yeah. them. His IRS after oh, yeah. them. That's just, this is fascism. People are terrorizing the state using terror, terror, to manipulate people and limit their freedoms and their and their rights. Oh, he, he's going to go after them. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt. So uh, we, we we just have this huge prism of madness that's coming at us at every point. And you're probably right. The president of Talladega College thinks that he's going to get some brownie points because and that's his one band of the poorer schools to begin with. That's one of the poorer, underfunded yes. uh, HBCUs to begin with. They're desperate. They're scared. They know what's going to happen. 
But but a little bit of that, Chauncey, you know you you know you gotta you know you gotta say a little bit, tiny, 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 tiny bit <laughs> of that is crab in the barrel. Oh yeah, our of behavior. Um, you know, um. <laughs> But you know we 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 we're, we're dealing with on January seventeenth or twentieth or whenever it is twentieth yeah same week um, as uh, Martin Luther King's birthday yeah but we're 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 dealing with the madness marching forward, and one of the things that I'm trying to get from people is how do you think this is going to roll out? There are many people who are saying that, oh, he's going to make a mistake and he's going to be impeached and, and there's no, going to be no. a big brouhaha. There are people who are saying he's he may be assassinated because uh, from from an international from an international source. Um, you know that one of the things he's not doing is he's not screwing with Israel. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> That that has not happened. That's why I say he's crazy as a fox. Well, it also gets to the Christian uh, evangelicals and, and Christian Zionists that are part of his administration and part of his uh, base of support. Mm-hmm. So so what do, so what do we do? We we write letters every day to Betsy DeVos. <laughs> you know the good old days. Got it, brother Michael Dawson and others. That black counter public. You got to, you know, one of the things that has frustrated me in terms of thinking about sort of mobilization in the present is not all the tools from before are broken. Yes, you can use social media uh, as a replacement for folks getting on the phone as they used to do or going door to door. Uh, but Twitter mm-hmm. activism, I just had uh, Brother Lester Spence on my podcast this week. Great conversation. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, Lester's been we with us. This. Yeah, he's great, folks. And also, thinking about how we got here in terms of black politics. Brother Cedric Johnson had him on the show, University of Illinois. He's written a lot about mm-hmm. uh, black political demobilization after the civil rights movement. So, yeah, I mean, we can create, we got to go back to those indigenous institutions, getting our money together, black capitalism, creating the black counterpublic, and creating the resources and marshalling the resources and skills to survive this. Because, again, we've got the blue sensibility. We understand uh, totalitarianism, American apartheid, Fascism. We may not have the vocabulary, but again, that gets us to Afro pessimism. You know, very important mm-hmm. concept. We saw this. We are not surprised. Yes. Black and brown folks, we're not going to be jumping out windows, medicating ourselves and killing ourselves over this, like a lot of other folks. Are. No, we're going to be having hotel wars. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we'll survive. But what are we? But what are we going to inherit? You know, this is a a problem for all Americans and all people of conscience for the world. And here's the genius, the wicked genius of uh, what the Republican Party has done now. Falling fully in line, because again, I say this repeatedly, the Republican Party is the country's, country's largest white identity organization, and conservatism and racism are now fully one and the same thing. Trump is proof of this. That uh, going forward, all right, Trump gets impeached, which won't happen. Now you've got Pence, who's da- his vice president, even more dangerous. And yeah, the one really yeah running the I show think Pence is more dangerous. You've got Ryan, mm-hmm. who's extremely dangerous. So this is a, a cultural crisis, and then the illusion I've made and others have as well. This feels like the end of this after Civil War with Reconstruction. We're going to need a second Reconstruction because this is a backlash. This is redemption, mm-hmm. is what the white folks called it. In the, in the mm-hmm. South. Well, this, this will be the third. This will be the. This will be the third Reconstruction. Yeah. 
It will be. So maybe that's I what we're going to have to the, do. The, the second reconstruction started uh, when the fair, when the um, um, when when the Johnson civil passed the civil rights movement mm-hmm. uh, laws. Right. Uh, Are we going to need a And I think that this will be. Yeah, we we've been headed toward a third reconstruction uh, since um, since Reagan, actually. Mm-hmm. So. What do you think will be the role of Newt Gendrich and Rudy Giuliani and and, and, and these people, Palin, who have not been appointed to a cabinet-level position? I mean, they're going to just be his closet advisors. I mean, they're going to be on the telephone. Mm -hmm. They're going to be influential. Um, As I said, because he's basically not even going to be in Washington. But no, but not, not, not one of them. I think Giuliani simply could not get past the vetting uh, because mm-hmm. of his he's business. Beyond belief. Yeah, he's corrupt. Yeah, he's internationally corrupt. So, Just like Trump. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I think that Bannon is his minister of propaganda, um, and that those that Newt Gingrich is number two. Uh, and somehow he'll get paid. Um, so I think that one of the things in terms of resistance that we can lean on is we can begin to lean on, as you say, not spending our money, as I recommend, uh, holding back on your, on paying your taxes until it's time, until ta- taxes are not due until April 15th. You all get that, right? Well, even then, I mean, you can get extensions. I mean, once yep. you understand the tax code, there are many, many things that you can do. I, I know some folks who are tax resistors and other folks who are just smart with money. Um, and I was talking to them the other day, you know, obviously go consult a professional. Is that you mm-hmm. understand the various extensions you can get. And even then, if you decide to take this route, do your research, yeah, it, it takes some time before you get in trouble. <laughs> and even then, yeah, it does. The piece, it does. You, you cut a deal. And you say, I'll pay over not, seven years, and you pay the minimum amount you can. But people aren't We're discussing this and not advocating it, folks, because we will not be responsible if you end up in jail by doing the wrong thing. But it's your advice, it but again, people are not willing this... to do it. No, they're not. They're not. Uh, we can also uh, put one of one of the solutions is to very publicly put pressure on the corporations that respond. That support this regime. Walmart, Target, Applebee's, Microsoft. Yeah, Microsoft is in there. Because, and, and I'll tell you why I, th- I think that, Chauncey. And for those of you who um, have not joined and would like to join this conversation, you have two minutes to get in here at 347-838-9852 because I'm going to shut off the phones uh, at that in, 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 in a few minutes because if people, Chauncey, people tend, you know, you know, you know, people tend to call at the last minute and uh, we run a very organized kind of program here. But anyway, um, I think that when I say Microsoft, that we put the pressure on Microsoft to do something, 
to become an activist corporation to install a new kind of democracy in this country. Because they'll tell you they're not they they don't re, re, um, support this regime because just as George Bush told us and you remember this Chauncey George Bush said he wanted to be a war president. This president has said he want this man who would be king has said that he wants to be a war president because he wants to play war games because Mm -hmm. that kind of craziness goes on in his head. And we have to begin to think once again, who is going to go to war on behalf of this country? It's going to be poor black and brown children. And the very poor white working class and poor white folks and middle class ones who voted for him. If you're looking at these yeah, actually enlisted combat arms regionally, yes. Yeah, little, the little, little tiny young deplorables. <laughs> As I said, these are so, maybe you live in interesting times, that old Chinese curse. You're 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 absolutely right. Okay, Chauncey, before we have to go, I'm not letting you off the hook on this. <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about, so when's the book coming out? We'll see. I'm in the process of talking to different folks, so Try to get that resolved. Send the cat to another cat lover, not to me. I don't <laughs> want your cat. So you hopefully know, I, in the near you know, future, as I said, we're talking to some like folks. I don't like cats. <laughs> we're talking to some folks, so hopefully sooner rather than later. But you know how long these things take. But now is the time, and fingers crossed we'll okay. come together. Okay, now, tomorrow on Salon.com, you have a new piece. Tell us about it. You know, it's something, I don't know if folks saw this in the L.A. Times, about two weeks ago, I'm trying to preview the sort of narratives that are going to be used against people who of principle and conscience who try to stop Trump. And it's a piece called Trump Derangement Syndrome. And what conservatives are basically trying to do now, and that was a very prominently um, featured editorial, is say that anyone who opposes Donald Trump is deranged, they're crazy, they're not fair to him, and the ultimate culmination of resistance against Trump will be an assassination attempt. So I basically call that out, outline the hypocrisy, and say it's an act of projection, number one. Look at how treated. We want to look at derangement, and we want to laugh. We want to dismiss these types of arguments, but that's the playbook they're going to use. They're going to say, all of you folks who, based on the facts, based on reason, stand against Trump, who oppose Trump, that you're crazy. And they're going to use that to delegitimate you. They're going to use that to ostracize you, and they're going to use that to harass you, uh, target you for harassment. So folks better wake up. Mm -hmm. That's the playbook. Hmm. So the crazy people calling other, other people crazy. There you go. Is that how it goes? There you go. My God. There you go. You're My God. That's going to be the playbook. So that's on Sunday. And this week, I said something, of course, about Obama's farewell. Got something I've been thinking about for Brother King. You know, And as I said, every you know, three, four days a week, my own side elsewhere, the podcast, doing some really interesting things there. So folks who try to listen to that mm-hmm. and starting a video podcast in the near future. So I'm very easy to find. Of course, Twitter, Facebook, mm-hmm. things like that. I, 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 I need to gossip with you, and I hope everybody will check out Salon.com tomorrow for this piece. I'm very anxious. I'm just going to go try to find it as soon as we get off the air. Because <laughs> <laughs> we'll I'm a night owl kind of person. My brain doesn't even wake up until 9 o'clock. Uh, I, I tomorrow at 7 or 8 a.m. it'll be up there. I, I want to gossip with you for a little bit. Okay. Sure. Did you hear, did you hear the rumor 
that Facebook is going to start charging people for posts? Do you know anything about I that? Surprised. I hadn't heard of that, but I wouldn't I wouldn't surprised. either. I wouldn't be either, and I want to tell all of our listeners and supporters out there uh, that we still have our community forum where you can set up your own page, you can do your own posts, you can do set up your own forums, uh, you can set up chat from there and invite other members. We have about uh, 6,000 people who have signed up over the years. We have all of their email addresses. Oh, yeah, when you get that little email from me every Thursday telling you who's going to be at our Common Ground this week, it went out to a little over 6,000 people. And we're going to open that up and start pushing that because I think um, Facebook has become a, a fail. Well, it has become a fail uh, for my personal stuff. Uh, I have a personal page, which is BJ. Pete Graham or something like that, where I I post my grandchildren's pictures. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and while we're talking about it, uh, Chanti, I want to tell you that I want to thank my my daughter. She has taken over the hosting holiday hosting uh, role in our family. And what a Martha Stewart kind of Christmas and <laughs> New Year's we had. <laughs> I mean, it was Martha Stewart from the food to the decorations to the music to the... I felt like I had landed at a five-star hotel who was giving a special party for our family. So well, shout out to her. I'm sure she's listening. Black people. That poisonous soul food. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. My daughter supervises about seven top national chefs for her company. Oh, wow. And she's learning how to cook. Uh, Over the last two years, she has become a chef herself, and she does some. And um, so I just want that shout-out. The other thing is that if you want to join our community, uh, we are changing the domain from Our Common Ground Talk to Black Talk Matters because I own the domain and don't even try it, folks. I got to send out a letter to Sirius Radio because they're starting to chatter about Black Talk Matters and I own that domain. Um, the other thing I wanted to to to, um, to gossip with you about before we go, Chauncey, is that uh, you're not letting us know at our common ground where you are. What you know <laughs> when you're doing interviews and not your podcast because you can always find your podcast at chancydevega.com. But every time I look up, you're talking to Michael Moore and and Pap and Pap has his own show now. Yes, he does. Come on, tell yes, us. He does. Got to keep you in the loop. So, you got that promise. So tell us where you're going to be. We'll, we'll get dressed up and come. We won't embarrass <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of black folk and brown folk. You come on down <laughs> to the party. You can even wear one of okay. them ugly uh, pink suits and them ugly big church hats if you like, as long as you don't sit in the front row and block anybody's view. I'm good to go. And you better turn off Wait a minute. Wait a minute! Don't 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 try to get petty with me, cause I bought one of those little hats. You know the 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 what they call the 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 slingback hat or whatever it is. 
So when when I run out in my yard to get the mail, <laughs> people people think I'm somebody that's in the neighborhood trying to steal. <laughs> Chanti De Vega, it has been such a pleasure. You have to come back more. You haven't been here. Um, uh, when I call, you say hello. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, so coming this upcoming I, year, I'll make sure to stop by again. Okay, and I look forward to your intense uh, critical analysis of this new administration headed by the man who would be king. Chauncey DeVega. It's at chaunceydevega.com and salon.com and alternate.com. He's everywhere, and we invite you and encourage you to follow his thoughts on political, cultural, and social issues and to join him on his podcast at chaunceydevega.com. It's the Chauncey DeVega Show. Chauncey, talk to you soon. Likewise. And thank you so much. You're so brilliant, even even if you play with cats. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for uh, being with us uh, here tonight at Our Common Ground. I've got some things I need to talk to you about. Uh, we are going to be doing something different in 2017. And that difference is, and we're certainly going to be inviting Chauncey DeVega, is that every month I will have a co-host. Um, and we'll, we'll publish uh, the schedule of co-hosts. Uh, Wilmer Leon of Sirius Radio um, uh, Dr. Leon, Inside the Issues. Tommy Curry is going to be with us, and he is also going to be doing a six-week teaching of his new book, The Man Not, uh, starting in Mar in April. Um, Sakira Jabbar is going to be co-hosting for with us. Leah Gaines, who is an activist and president of the Palm Beach County NAACP and has been a friend of this show, who you've heard many times, is going to be one of our co-hosts. Dr. Susan K. Smith, Dr. Ruby Sales, uh, all will be co-hosting, and everybody will be doing a co-hosting for one month. So they'll be here for the four weeks of the month. Um, And that doesn't mean that we are not going to have guests. It's been wonderful being with you. Happy New Year again. And we will see you next week uh, here at Our Common Ground. We hope that you have a good week. And we thank Chauncey DeVega for being with us tonight. Working people, middle class people who are looking for a way out, given the fact that they're losers under neoliberal globalization. And they, they, they tilted toward Bernie Sanders, but the Democratic Party and its neoliberal regime marginalized him and us. And so the only alternative is this pseudo populist billionaire with these narcissistic sensibilities and, and fascist, neo fascist proclivities. Now you talk about Taylor. I'll tell you, talk about terror.
people I've been terrorized all my days, all, all my days. We're so glad you tuned in tonight at Our Common Ground. As in this sanctuary, we begin our season 2017. Don't forget to subscribe to our Facebook page and to follow us on Twitter at Janice OCG as we continue to respect and honor black truth. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you.